Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. This is where we get to the Word this morning. If you were turn to Luke chapter, chapter number 2 this morning. Remember, we here are going through our series in Luke this morning. And today will be no different. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter here at the river. This morning we'll be looking at the boy Jesus in the tabernacle or the temple. This morning, and the last time we were together, we spoke about Jesus being about six weeks old. And the, the, the greatest historian, probably whoever, pinned anything being Luke pinned uh, uh, historical accounts of Jesus' early life. Now there are Gnostic Gospels like the, the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of or, uh, some of the other Gnostic Gospels that are mainly false Gospels that are made up. Maybe, maybe fan fiction is what we would call them today. They would say it was pinned by a certain name or a certain apostle. However, they had no accounts of it, of, of recurring and understanding uh, the story Stories of Jesus. There are stories of and the uh, the, the the account of uh, the, the Gospel of Thomas, where Jesus was sitting in an alley and he was all alone, and he would take clumps of clay and form it into birds just to have pets. Now the Bible is silent about Jesus's years as a, uh, from twelve to thirty, so we shouldn't speculate. We don't need to speculate. We have all we need in our hands, but we'll see more about how Jesus submitted to his earthly parents because we saw. Last time we were together, how Jesus came under the law. We saw in the book of Galatians when we study there that we are not saved by keeping the law. We are not saved by keeping the Sabbath. We're not saved by eating kosher. We're not saved by tithing from our mint, from our, from our spice racks. We're not saved by keeping the law down to the final jot and tittle. But we're saved only by grace, by what Jesus has done. Amen. Because if you live by the law, you'll be condemned by the law. And the last time I checked, I have not kept the law perfectly and that includes you as well that you have not kept the law without flaw without failure but only Jesus and his perfect performance is what saves me so we look this morning, if you grab your Bible, there should be a copy there in your pew this morning. This morning we choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We here at Riverside believe in the five solas. The five solas being with the scriptures alone. We believe in faith alone. We believe in Christ alone. We believe in grace and grace alone. We believe in God alone receives the glory. So this morning, if you will, turn to Luke chapter number two, like I've already asked you to do. If you're not there yet, get your neighbor to help you. We're looking at Luke chapter number two. We're looking at verse 41. Here in verse 41 this morning, Jesus is now 12 years old. Like I've already told you, the silent years between 6 weeks to 12 years. It's not our ideas to speculate. Where God is silent, let Him be silent for He is God. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy that the, the, the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed are to us and to our children. We're not to speculate and make up the things that took place between that gap, that, that, that gap but we are to look at what Jesus has done and what I do know. Let me just say it like this. 
And ain't the stuff in the Bible that I don't understand that really causes me to have doubt. It's the stuff that I do understand that causes me to have doubt. Uh, How, how, how can a man be perfect before God, never sinning? How can he, how can he just cause the blind to see and the deaf to hear? How can he walk on water? How can he take a couple of fish and two loaves of bread and see the masses? How can the, the lame dance in his presence? That's the part that befuddles me, that he must be God as we begin. In Luke chapter number 2, looking at verse 41. Today we will look at the two natures of Jesus. We must understand that Jesus is one person, but He has two natures. To help you quite understand that is, if you are a Christian, you carry the same two natures, but one is tainted. We have the human side of us. However, the only side of humanity that we understand is a tainted humanity. That we're clouded, we're fallen in our humanity. If we were just left in our humanity, we'd be wicked. And if God were to take his hands off of us, Hitler would look like a schoolboy compared to us. He restrains us in our humanity because of the wickedness and iniquity I was formed is, as it was says in Psalms 51, as David wrote, I was born into sin. However, we must understand that Jesus was not born into sin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was what Adam should have been. Adam was created from the dust of the earth and the Spirit of God blew into his nostrils and became a living soul. That's the story of Jesus and the womb of the young girl in Galilee. He was born without flaw, without sin. Jesus in his humanity was perfect. That's one nature, humanity. The other nature being the omnipotent presence, the all-powerful, all-understanding God. We call Him a down-to-earth deity. Now we must understand that we don't mix the two like, like water and dirt. You mix the two, it becomes mud. See, they had to face this back in the 400s in the early church. The 400s. They had to have a meeting and council to talk about the two natures being mixed. If you mix deity and humanity, you get a demigod. That means not really a god, not really a man, but something in between. But we call it the hypostatic union. That's where he is fully God and fully man. He is fully God and all he did is put on humanity. He is God and he is man. With that being said, we look in verse number 41. There was no one else like this child at 12 years old. Yet will there ever be anybody else like him. He will not be cloned. He will not be... He will not have a second coming as far as on this earth. Uh, the, the original will return. His name is Jesus. But we'll get there. Let's get through this first. In verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. Let me remind you in verse 41, the Passover. Do you remember when our study in Exodus, whenever God would go over the city of Egypt and anywhere where there was no blood on the doorpost, He would strike and kill the firstborn in that house. Man, woman, child, animals, they were all reaped by the power of God where there was no blood. And they they celebrate the Passover because it was God passing over them, passing over their wrath. How fitting as we look at the story of Jesus here as He celebrates the Passover because they called the lamb that was killed in the house the Paschal Lamb. 
They would kill that little lamb. About two weeks, the family would bring the lamb in. The children would pray, play with the lamb. They would even name the lamb. It was important that the family knew the lamb personally. So when the lamb was slaughtered and the lamb died, they would weep. The children would cry. The father would hold their sons close as they ate of the Paschal lamb. As they smeared the blood on the door, they should call him Fluffy and say, I knew the lamb by name. So it meant something when the lamb died. That's the Passover. And Jesus goes to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. Now you must understand Jesus is 12 years old here. The reason He visits Jerusalem from His hometown is because the very next year He will have a bar mitzvah. That's a coming of age. In the Jewish community He will become a man or an adult. He will be accountable before God and the community. So they go and they scope out there. No, we don't have the text where they drew a party and they had the bar mitzvah, but we have the the scoping out, the preemptive checking out the community, the hearing where the seeing where the temple is and where the, the leaders who will preside over his bar mitzvah, his graduation into adulthood. So they go there on the Passover. They go on verse 41 at the feast of the Passover. The Passover is a one-day event, and then they'll have the unleavened bread that lasts about a week. Remember, the unleavened bread is where they ate the bread without yeast. They ate the bread on the run. Remember, they had the, the kneading bowls on their shoulders and on their heads as they were leaving Egypt in a hurry, and there was no yeast. That's not, that's not, it's not that there's a sin to eat yeast. God just wanted the people to remember. Remember that you were fleeing around this time. And do that as you break the bread. So already we see in the verse 41, we see the blood and the bread. Oh, almost like it's reading to us as Christians about communion. When we take the blood of Christ and we partake of it and we break the bread, which is the body of Christ. Already we see it set up in verse 41. In verse 42. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Notice it was custom. Jesus found himself in his father's house as it was his custom. That was his norm. That's what he did on routine. Can it be said of you, Christian? Are you like Jesus? Well, I don't have to be a Christian to be at church. I don't have to be. I, going to church don't make me a Christian. I beg to differ. Going to church makes you a better Christian. Yeah, you can stay at home in your recliner, watch John Hagee on TV, yeah. But John Hagee don't know you by name. He don't know your flaws. He don't know your hang-ups. He ain't going to call you if you miss out. He ain't going to send you no letters or cards to check up on you. You need a local body of Christians as it would be your custom, your routine, to be in a local body of people who come together and love you. And you walk out your faith with fear and trembling together. Christianity is not an isolated event that you take place personally by yourself in your home alone. You are to gather with the faithful as He commands you to. Well, I can't find a good perfect church. There ain't no perfect church. Let me go ahead and let you know. If you find a perfect church, don't join it because you will mess it up. As it was His custom, His routine, He goes up. Do you, in your custom, in your routine, well, I have it. What's the new year? New calendar. 
Start your custom and your routine, your habits, your holy habits. Come into the house of the Lord. Come together with other believers. No, they ain't perfect. No, they will fail. They will fall. But that's where grace comes in. We gather together on a Sunday morning and we talk about grace. We sing about grace. We smile when we say grace because it's only by grace we are saved. So Jesus goes up as it was his custom with his family. Notice it was, it was Joseph's responsibility to get his family there. If Joseph went off and did whatever he wanted, Jesus probably would follow him. No, I doubt it. But we would follow our earthly fathers. Earthly fathers, let me go ahead and tell you. They'll follow your example before they'll follow your advice. Find yourself in the house of the Lord. Bringing your wife and your children to the altar and say, we will serve the Lord. As Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joseph brings Jesus as a good, obedient, submissive father to God. To honor God. He was 12 years old and they went up according to custom. In verse 43, and when the feast was ended... They were returning, and the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents did not know it. You might say, well, I've lost my car keys before. I've misplaced my wallet. How do you misplace the Son of God? Before we're too critical on Mary and Joseph, let us understand this. As they go up to Jerusalem, the men would stay in the back with the older boys. And the women would go up front, in the front, as they would travel together. Jesus, being 12 years old, was in transition each group would figure he would be with the other. Mary just considered, as she had other children at the time, yes, Jesus had half-brothers, as they're traveling together, that Jesus, who's 12 years old, was of course walking with Joseph. Joseph, who's traveling with the men, would say, of course, he's 12 years old, he's traveling with his brothers and Mary up front. So before we're critical, and they just like us to look at something and say, oh, how are you going to do that? But if that was your book, if it was a, the testament of you, the people would read and say, why wouldn't you just believe God? Why wouldn't you just trust God in that situation? What's wrong with you? They say, don't judge a man unless you walk a mile in his shoes. Because then you're a mile away from him in his shoes and he can't catch you. Let us not judge Mary and Joseph. Let us consider that this is an opportunity just to illuminate Jesus in a certain type of way. As we see in verse 44, but supposing Him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for Him among the relatives and acquaintances, they did not find Him. And they returned to Jerusalem searching for Him, looking for the boy Jesus. They go in the streets finding, going to the market, He won't there. They searched the, the fields where the children played, but he was not there. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the elders, listening to them, and asking them questions. We see in verse 47, And all those who heard him were amazed at the understanding and his answers. In verse 47, I want to unpack that just for a moment. I told you that he had a humanity. He had humanity. And he also had a divine nature. His human nature was not tainted with any kind of sin. What I mean by this is that, have you ever got to the point where you walk into the room and you forget why you go in that room? What did I come in here for? And that's when your kids laugh at you. Ha ah, ha, daddy's getting old. Have you ever 
Being changed, something, you forget what you're talking about in the middle of the sentence. Have you ever turned and gone the wrong direction, even though your GPS said turn the other way? Have you ever made a mistake? As you, have you ever had a moment where you froze up and you just can't think clearly? That's called the fallenness of our humanity. We are tainted in sin. We're born into sin. And if I know anything, sin makes you stupid. And boy, we are really stupid. And I don't mean that to offend anybody, and I might sound a little coarse when I say it, but sin attacks the body. There's no one here without sin. There's no one here who has no flaws. We were born in them. We're natural liars. We're li natural embellishers. We're, we're natural covetous. We're natural holding grudges. And, and sin not only affects our souls, but our bodies and our minds. Our minds become clouded as we age. I, I've studied theology a little while. I'm by no means an expert. I don't have the papers to prove anything. I've opened my Bible and studied God's Word, sat under teachers and understood. But a 12-year-old Jesus would run laps around me and any theologian there ever was. A 12-year-old Jesus would make Socrates look like a schoolboy. A 12-year-old Jesus would make Richard Dawkins look like a... a, 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 a well, I ain't going to go there. Richard Dawkins, if you know who he was, he was a famous atheist who actually stands face-to-face -face with God. He's no longer an atheist. A 12-year-old Jesus who was unclouded in His humanity. Perfect. Made in the image of God. In just His humanity. We must understand that He is also fully God. That means He's omnipotent. That means He knows everything. That means He's all-powerful. Um, 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 omniscience means He knows everything. Omnipotent means He's all-powerful. That He's God. So we have these two natures in one person. However, they communicate to the person Jesus. Now, I don't know where they begin and where they end because that's the mystery of the deity of Christ, the incarnation. But we can distinguish between the two natures. When Jesus grew hungry, we don't say, well, that's the God nature of Him that grew hungry because we are humans. We know what it's like to get hungry. We know what it's like to bleed. We know what it's like to have tears in our eyes and our hearts broken and to groan within our recesses of our soul. That's the human side. When Jesus was thirsty, that's His humanity on display. We can distinguish that. That's humanity. But when Jesus walks on water, when Jesus speaks to creation and the billows lay down and the storm stops... When Jesus walks up to the blind and touches their eyes, they can see. When Jesus speaks to the deaf, they hear Him and hear everything else. We say that's not the humanity side of Christ. We say that's divinity. We say that's the God in Jesus. That's the God Jesus. See, we can distinguish the two. We don't mix the two. So what about when Jesus is in the temple? And he's speaking to these theologians, talking to the elders of the temple, those who teach the law. And he's speaking to them. Is that Jesus' divinity? Is that his God lordship speaking to them? No, it's not. That's his flawless humanity speaking to these theologians and it's blowing their mind. He's not tainted with any sin. He knows what to say, how to answer, and question them to have them look into their own hearts and look for the Paschal Lamb that they just got through celebrating in the flesh. Jesus at 12 years old in His humanity is greater than all the minds in this congregation put together to contemplate anything. 
This Jesus runs laps around the teachers and the preachers of the day. Twelve years old. He sits, he asks questions. He asks them in such a way that they examine their own hearts and their own minds as he unfolds the law. Because no one spoke like Jesus. No one. As he captivated audiences up to 5,000 people without any amplification, he would speak and even those that came to arrest him would come back to the authority to say, no one ever spoke like this man. Here we have 12-year-old Jesus taking the professors, the authorities, taking them to school. Because Jesus, you must understand this and wrap your head around that Jesus is perfect in all His ways. I, mean, I can't get that. I don't understand. There's no, you just said there's no perfect church. Yeah, no perfect church. But there is a perfect Lord who we serve. Amen. Wait a minute. If He's perfect, does He require that of me? God does. God requires perfection. Without, flaw, without making any mistakes. Without intentionally sinning. He requires that. Whoa, I don't like that preacher because you just told me that we're flawed and we're broken. See, I'm smiling. Well, that's where grace comes in. Amen. We don't call it just grace. We call it amazing grace. Amen. Because Jesus bears our imperfections, our flaws, our sins, our motivations, our wicked hearts, our anger and our unforgiveness and our bitter. He bears them in His flesh, in His humanity, and dies in our stead. Now you know why we sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. Not Calgon. Not Clorox and bleach. Nothing will wash away the stains in my soul. Nothing will reconcile me to God but the blood of Jesus. Not the philosophies of Plato or Socrates. Not the good advice of Dr. Oz or Dr. Phil. Not, not, my, not the advice of Dr. Ruth or Dr. Spock will help me. Only the great physician, Jesus, can save someone like me. Amen. And His perfection and His holiness. He was good and righteous and I am not. Now the scales are set. You see how uneven they are. If anybody deserves to go to heaven, it's just Jesus and not me. But only because of grace. Twelve-year-old Jesus is there in the temple speaking and talking to the teachers and the preachers of His day, causing them to not roll their eyes, but to roll their eyes in amazement that this twelve-year-old is speaking in such a way that it befuddles them as He unpacks the law. We see in verse 46, he's sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions, inquiring and putting his finger on the pulse of their hearts. And then verse 47, And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. It's not that they're amazed that he's only 12 and he knows that much. They're amazed in general because he outshadows them all. He is the mount in theology. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the greatest human. He's the greatest person to walk across the horizon of humanity. He is God. Everybody else dwarfs in his presence. Castro and Karl Marx, Martin Luther King and Jr. all bow the knee when he enters the room. The greatest thinkers and the heaviest movers and shakers that our world has ever seen are totally eclipsed by Jesus, even at 12 years old. 
That's my Jesus. And then verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Now, it makes sense that mama would say this. Where you be, baby? What you do this to us for? I'm tired. You know how much I walked around the city? Where you been? You grounded. No, it doesn't say that, but it makes sense if she said it. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. I could not imagine the, the, the stress and anxiety that the parents went through as they were looking for the boy Jesus. She says, your daddy and I have been looking for you. Where have you been? In verse 49, I want you to know also in verse, verse 48 that Jesus was perfect in all his ways. Uh, there was no distress that was brought on to Mary or Joseph by his backtalking or his rebellion. That Jesus was perfect, honoring his parents in every way. Can you imagine being Jesus' little brother? Can't you be more like Jesus? He walks on water. I can't, I can't do that. Can you imagine the stress that you would hear as James heard that? Or one of his other brothers. However, Jesus did not rebel against his parents. He had every right to. He's deity. He's God. He could have. But he does not. He brings himself under the law. He honors his parents. You know why, really? Let's be honest. The reason Jesus honors his parents the way he does is because we don't. We haven't and we won't. That's where the rebellion is. If you're going to look for rebellion, look, in, look into your own self and your own soul. You'll find it quite easily. I know I find it in mine. And in verse 49, after Mary says, you should, you, what did you do to me and your daddy? In verse 49, he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? Did you notice how he corrected, not really in a disrespectful way, I'll be in my father's house. Mary already said, me and daddy has been looking for you. He says, well, I'm in my father's house. The one who I belong to. In our society, in our culture, young people are the most connected online, most well-educated of any generation there ever been. Yet they're the most lonely and the most confused. Some of them don't even know what bathroom to use. Some of them are fluid. They don't want to call it binary. Binary is when you're set in your gender. They say what is truth is relative. They don't know why they exist. It all started back a couple, about 50 years ago, whenever we put evolution in school and said we evolved from the goo, went to the zoo, created me and you. You have no purpose. You're here for no reason. You're just a bag of flesh and bones with nerves and neurons that flash and chemicals that make you feel a certain way. You have no soul. Have no purpose. Even when those young people aspire and they reach greatness in the eyes of culture, they, they, they live in big houses and drive nice cars and their name's on the tips of everybody's tongue. Everybody knows who they are. They end up hanging themselves in their penthouse by the neck with a leather belt because they have no purpose. They put a syringe in their arm and they die in overdoses because they have no purpose and no reason, no identity. People today still wear labels on their clothes because they feel like that's their identity. 
The labels on their clothes feel like they give them purpose and they belong to somebody. But the thing about Jesus is even at 12 years old, 12 years old, there's people who are 50, 60 years old still trying to find themselves. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? What's the point? Where am I going? Why? What am I living here for? What's the meaning of life? You hear all of those things. But at 12 years old, Jesus knew why He was here. What He is to do. He was preparing Himself to serve the Lord. Let me say it again for those who are wondering what you're supposed to do. Why are you here? You're, you're not here to be just someone who goes to work every day, grind to make a dollar to buy a loaf of bread to feed your kids. You're not someone who just exists who takes care of the grandkids. You're not someone who lives in a cubicle and your purpose is to look at spreadsheets all day. Your purpose is not just to swing a hammer or fix something that's broken. You're not a breeder. You're not just to come into this world just to raise the population. You're not, that's not your purpose. That's not why you're here. Your purpose is to be like Jesus, is to honor God. Serve Him in every way, in every fashion. Then when you look at that spreadsheet, you're doing it for the glory of God. You understand what I'm saying? Whenever you swing that hammer, you're doing it for His glory. You raise your children up. For his glory. Levi, at two, three years old, he learned to speak very well very early. He learned that he could run real fast. He said, Daddy, I can run fast. And I said, Baby, do you know why you can run fast? And two, three years old, to hear him say, For God's glory brought joy to my heart. What are you doing? What are, whatever you're doing. You do it for His glory. Whether you're working in the hospital like Miss Becky, it's for God's glory. Taking care of payroll like Miss Sheila, it's for God's glory. Working at a store like Brother Danny, it's for God's glory. Retired like Miss Barbara, it's for God's glory. Doing whatever Tommy does, for God's glory. For His glory, whatever. It's for His glory. I do it to make much of His name. To honor Him in all my endeavors. To make much of Him. Does that mean you put little crosses on the shoes you make? Or do you put, you put crucifixes on all the spreadsheets? No, that's not, that's not necessarily. You do what you do to excellence for His glory, to honor Him. I've labored to bring glory to His name. Even at 12 years old, Jesus knew why He was here. His mission, why He's here. If you've been trying to find yourself, what you, what's the point? What am I supposed to be doing? Am I supposed to be married? Am I supposed to be single? Am I supposed to take this job? Am I supposed to do that? Or am I supposed to go over here and do this? Yes. For His glory. Whatever it is. If it brings Him glory, don't hold back. Pour all yourself into it. Make much of His name. Whether you're a stay-at-home mommy, for His glory. Whether you work at a, a, a pet house office, for His glory. No matter where it is, what you do, and you set your heart to do, do it for His glory. Will He get much glory from what you're doing? Or are you doing it to get a paycheck? To get a bigger house and a bigger car? Do it for His glory. Even at 12 years old, our blessed Savior Jesus knew why He was here. Remember, in His humanity, He was untainted, He was perfect, and all that He did. This was not divinity that was speaking to these 
leaders and teachers there in Jerusalem. This was his humanity. Why do I tell you this this morning? It makes Jesus all the sweeter. Yes, He was perfect in all His endeavors. Yes, He was without flaw. But I read in the Bible that He cried. <laughs> Maybe that ain't a big deal to you. Maybe you don't ever cry. Maybe you're stone-faced. I cry while I'm preaching. There's a reason. Because my Jesus understands me. Somebody who don't shed any tears, who's a statue Jesus, a plastic or a marble Jesus, who's stone-faced and has no emotion, does not resonate with me. But someone who understands me and sees my tears, someone who's been broken, someone who's been betrayed, someone who's been hurt, I, I can relate to so don't fall for these stone-faced Jesuses. The real Jesus has wept. Amen. The real Jesus saw people he loved walk off to hell because the rich young ruler, he would not repent. And the Bible says as he went away, he loved him. Wow. Jesus was cast out by the very people who should have accepted him. Jesus understands. That's my Jesus. I wonder today, do, do you know Him? Or better yet, does He know you? Believe me, He knows you. In spite of you, He died in your stead and in your place. This is the part where I share the gospel with you. Because I just can't let us leave today without sharing the gospel. To some of us, well most of us, let's be honest, it's such good news. Please preacher, tell me the gospel again. Because I forgot it. I forgot it yesterday. I forgot it this morning. Well, the perfect Jesus keeps God's law without flaw. That means He never coveted. He never lied. He never stole anything. He never lusted in His heart or committed adultery, defiling the marriage. But never. He never did that. He never murdered anybody or held back unforgiveness and carried a grudge. He honored his mother and his father all his days. He kept the Sabbath day without flaw and without fail. He never blasphemed the name of God. Never. He never served any other God but the one true God. Never bowing down to idols and living for something other than God. He loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's Jesus on this side. But over here is your preacher who's lied, who's coveted who's lusted in his heart, who's been bitter and unforgiving, who's broken the Sabbath day, dishonored his parents. What kind of preacher y'all got? I live for idols, things that are smaller than Jesus. I live and do anything for them and serve them. And I have not loved God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus took my sins upon himself. In fact, he volunteered. He took my place and your place. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. That means Jesus volunteered to die for the wrath of God was upon sinners. He took our stead. He took our place and died on the cross. He died like a man, but in three days they laid Him in the tomb. He rose like a God. He said, I told you, trust in me. Lean upon me. Trust in what I've accomplished on your behalf. The fact is, if we all get what we deserve, we get hell. That's the truth. We all earn hell. 
But God has given us grace today. And if I were you, if you are not in right standing with God, I would not get up out of my seat today. I would not move an inch. I would not get up to greet my neighbor without doing business with God today. God requires blood like the Paschal Lamb that we spoke about earlier. The blood on the doorpost where they celebrated the Passover. Well, God simply passed over that home because the blood was a symbol that the Lamb died to protect that person in that family. This morning is the blood over your life. Has Jesus' blood smeared all over your life? Jesus has borne my sins and the blood flows in my life. I'm saved and He will pass you over. Otherwise, the wrath of God will crush you and ruin you. Hell is a very real place. But so is heaven. And you ain't got to go to hell today. But rest assured, some of you are hell-bent on going to hell. You will do all you can to go to hell. But then I'm heaven bent to tell you about a Savior who died for sinners. Sinners like me. Like the song says, who saved a wretch like me. First we admit we are sinners. I know I deserve hell. But that makes grace all the sweeter. Nobody's going to bow their heads and raise their hands. Because we'll know today if you trust in Jesus. Your lifestyle will show it. Your speech will show it. You'll be dedicated to Christ and serving Him only. Now, this is where we bow our heads. I'm going to ask Tommy if he'll close us with prayer. I want to invite you back here tonight starting at 7 o'clock. I mean 6 o'clock. 7 is too late. 6 o'clock as we look at the story of uh, Laodicea, the church Laodicea, a lukewarm church. And I do hope that you're not lukewarm as we study that together here tonight. Tommy, would you close us with prayer? I'll be at the back door telling you thank you for being with us today here at the River. Tommy.